So uh, we reflected on the law last week. Probably that's the key uh, to understand Paul. We have to understand Paul's understanding of the law. And I think that is a key also to understanding our faith. Without truly understanding the law, our faith uh, uh, is hard to really understand. Faith and grace. And also without understanding the law, it's really hard to understand our life. Because law has such a powerful hold on you. Uh, law controls everything. That includes, I'm not just talking about Jewish law, just generally, the law. Law controls everything. Law controls our consciousness. Law controls our behavior. Law controls what is right and what is wrong. What law controls our mood and feeling. Law controls almost every aspect of our life. So without really understanding the law, we cannot even understand life. What life is apart from the law is, is a really hard to understand. So the law is very important. Uh, last week we reflected on it. And even though it is a little bit difficult to understand and a little bit confusing, I hope that you really have a grasp of what Paul's discovery about the law was. Even to Paul, all his life, the law was the most important thing to him. He lived, he tried to live all his life being faithful to the law, like law-abiding citizen. Very important to him. That was the goal he pursued. And he achieved a lot actually, because he said, as far as law is concerned, I am flawless. Who could say that? I am flawless as far as the law is concerned. As the psalmist said, he believed that the happy life was meditating the law day and night and living his life according to the law. That was, so law was everything uh, in his life. That was a measuring stick by which you're measured. How good you are, how happy you are, how uh, successful you are. This law. But he came to this radical realization that he didn't even recognize what 
God was doing through the Son of God, even though all his life he tried to keep the law. He tried to so diligently follow the law, and he didn't even recognize what God was doing through the Son of God. He had all the law, but he was not able to recognize that. He thought he was a good man according to the law. But he saw himself doing horrible things to those who followed God and truly loved God. So he realized that he had the law, and the law could not do anything for him. All his life, he had the law. The law, I mean, he was even flawless, and yet, law could not help him see what God was doing. What was. <clears throat> Once he had this understanding, <coughs> he was getting deeper and deeper in his understanding of the law. What law was like, what law did. Everything started opening up. Until then, he was so scared of challenging the law. He was so scared of saying anything negative about the law. Because everything, he was bound by the law. Law controlled everything. So he was not, because it is uh, something that God gave uh, him, so he, he, was not to, he was not really challenging the law. But once he started understanding what law was doing and the incapability of the law, helplessness of the law, once he understood that, everything opened up. And he was able to getting deeper, deep and deeper into the understanding of the law. He even saw that the law cursed the Son of God. He even understood that the law actually cursed the Son of God. This is what he said. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, I mean, so law is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. So law condemned Jesus. Law cursed Jesus. And he saw this terrible thing that the law did to the Son of God and to him and to humanity. The law could not see what it ought to have seen. He realized that there are things that the law could not see. I think you are in the, on the, same, in the same boat too. All your life, you have lived by your own law or the law that is set by the society. It can be legal law or moral law or just that 
basic common law. What is life supposed to be? So laws are all around us. And these laws control us. And we try to live what is supposed to be a good life according to the law that I know. You have to be a nice person. Yeah, that is the law. You've got to be a nice person. You worked hard. You made money. You took care of your children. You served the church, and so on. And then you realize that being a nice guy is not everything. Being a nice guy is not everything. Being a nice guy does not make me always happy. Life is more than that. Happiness is more than that. Good life is more than doing all these things. And then you realize that, ah, there is a doing part and there is a being part. And law can do something about this doing part. But law really cannot do much about this being part. What, what controls my being is what's inside of me. And you realize that happiness is not, does not come from what you do. It's not from this doing part. Happiness is from being part. What's going on within you? Happiness comes from the wholeness you have within you. Wholeness. The inner, inner balance, harmony, and peace. So what's inside of this is this wholeness, this balance within you. What, what people praise you about is not enough. Oh, you're great. Oh, you're tall. You're handsome. You're doing so well. You're making good money and you're a nice guy. That is not enough, you realize. Because what's in you is more than that. And Paul discovered honestly that he didn't have this inner balance, harmony, and he saw that there was inside of him constant conflict. Con war. He, he describes it as war within him. He was divided. He was scattered. And then he realized that powerful reality and that powerful reality was the reality of sin. He was able to see the power of sin. And he realized that he was not as free as he thought, he realized. He was enslaved by sin. And then even the law could not do anything with that 
Lord tells me what I do wrong, but he cannot help me. Lord tells me what I do wrong, but he cannot help me. It's like parents telling you always what is wrong. <laughs> They cannot help you. Because of nagging. What's the point of telling me what I do wrong? I know what I'm doing wrong, but I don't know what to do with it. It's like bad parents constantly telling me what I do wrong. So I gave you the Niagara Falls example. Somebody is uh, going down uh, Niagara Falls, and then uh, the people ask, hey, hey, if you keep going there, then there's a fall. You're going to die. So know that you're going to die. And this guy going down, I know. But what can I do? <laughs> I don't know what to do. But the water is too strong. You just keep going down. And then by telling me, I get more, more frozen. By, oh, there's a Niagara Falls. I'm going to die. And then you're more frozen. The, the more you hear it, the more you cannot move. You're paralyzed. You're just going down. And the people on the side telling you that you're going to the fall is the law. And another thing, interesting, the human brain is very conniving. Don't, don't trust your brain. <laughs> Because the human brain is so conniving. It is so sly. We just know how to adapt. We just know how to kind of manipulate it. So you can never be saved by your brain. That's a fact. Because your brain is not good in that way. And then what this brain did? All he did, all Paul did with the law was to put a nice mask on yourself. To masquerade yourself. Just a nice way of hiding your deep. On the surface, you look great. Inside, there's smell of death. On the surface, you're such a nice person. Deep inside, there is worm, struggle, darkness. Jesus called it white. Washed tomb. Seeing the Pharisees. Pharisees were very moral people. They were really top tier of the morality and the law and everything. And then Jesus called it whitewashed tomb. This is what he said. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you are like white, whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of the bones of the dead and of all kinds of filth. 
Jesus saw. I mean, these are nice guys helping other people and doing all kinds of good things, fasting, praying, and all of the giving ten, tenth of their income and everything. And then Jesus saw them, and then he whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you're white, but inside, you're black, dark. Hypocrisy. But hypocrisy is not a problem. We are all hypocrites, in a way. Aren't we? We are all hypocrites. Hypocrisy is not a problem. What is the problem? The problem is you're still weak. That's the problem. You're still weak. Doesn't matter how, you, how much you pretend, you're still weak. That is the problem. You are weak. Falsity. That was what he saw. Falsity. Righteousness was only false righteousness. And he examined prayer of Pharisees and prayer of tax collector. I think Paul saw the problem of humanity very clearly. And that's why Jesus Christ came to us. So it has a lot to do with why Jesus came to us. And what is the problem that Paul saw? I think the problem is self-idolatry. That's the problem. Self-idolatry. Obsession with the self. We have this fear of losing oneself. And sin maximized that fear. And this fear manifests itself in fear of death. For example, if yourself is everything, when that self dies, everything. So if you believe that yourself is everything, then that self dies, everything dies. That mentality, that is the problem. That mentality. In modern world, I talked about rugged individualism, they are emphasizing more and more so the self-idolatry. We don't even, we even call it American idols. Everybody just wants to be an idol. And this fear turned into greed. And this fear also turned into violence, domination, and control. Problem continues. This Distorted sense of self-importance. Distorted sense of self-importance. 
Even the law made it worse by creating false sense of righteousness. Being good is good, but somehow the obsession with being good can enslave us. Being good is good, but obsession with being good enslaves us. We become so focused on ourselves that it imprisons us. Paul used to focus on this self too. And he, he didn't even realize, he, he didn't even have a conflict. He didn't even have war within him. Within him. The war within him started after meeting Christ. Before meeting Christ, he had no conflict. He was fine. It was all I, 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 and he was fine with that. Don't think that Paul always lived with this sense of guilt and then always lived with this conflict and uh, word. No, Paul never lived like that. Paul lived confidently before he met Christ. But when he saw what he was doing, he saw two sides of himself. In other words, he was awakened, completely awakened. This is what he said. I, too, have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. So he lived with confidence. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, I, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless as I, I, I. I am circumcised. I am Israelite. I am Benjaminite. I am a Hebrew. I am a Pharisee. I am zealous for God. I am righteous. I am blameless. It's all I, I, I. But after meeting Christ, finally he Free from himself. And I want you to think about what, it, what does it mean to be free from yourself? Very difficult concept, but somehow that's what he, see, he experienced. I am free from myself. Said that I am free from those powerful dictators. I'm free from that political oppression. I'm free from the, the, the uh, poverty. He didn't say that. I am free from myself. No. And I wonder what he experienced when he was able to say that, when he was saying that I am free from myself, myself. This is what he said. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, 
I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. He, he said he lost everything, and he indeed actually lost everything. He lost family, he lost money, he lost fame, he lost reputation, he lost friends, he lost his, uh, uh, the, the people's love, he lost uh, his religion, uh, he lost everything. And yet he said, I'm free. I'm free. Even though I lost everything. And then he said, he didn't find himself, but he was found. He didn't say he found Christ. He said he was found in Christ. In other, in other words, he was lost before, but now he's found in Christ. Very strange experience he had. He lost everything that he had, but he said he was found now in Christ. That's what he the experience. That's what he discovered. He was found in Christ. I think that's the key. That's the key to the good news. That is the key to the solution to our existence. That's the key to our living. He saw the difference between the self that he cultivated and the self that was given to him. He realized that there are two selves. The self that he cultivated and the self that he was, that's the self that was given to him as a gift. Don't think that, this is metaphorical, don't think that, oh, there are two selves now. <laughs> Please. <laughs> this is a metaphorical language. It's still one self. But he discovered, I mean, we are so used to some material and calculating uh, things that uh, we look at it that way. But, like, he just totally, his perspective to himself totally changed. Totally changed. Even his righteousness is not what he achieved, but was given to him. So there's nothing to boast about. The self he enjoyed was not the self he made, but the self given to him as a gift. The old, this old self tortured him. The only solution he realized that I have to die. That's why he said, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ 
who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's crucified. His own self is crucified. That experience is precious. Somehow he experiences existential mysticism about him being free from himself. Crucified with Christ somehow, mysteriously, and then himself came about, came alive. I think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, if you want to follow me, you have to Deny yourself. In other words, you have to die to yourself first and then follow me. Unless we really understand Paul, Paul's experience, we cannot understand what Jesus is saying. This is what Jesus said. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? If I is everything, when I die, everything dies. But Jesus is saying, if you lose your life, you gain your life. You don't lose it. That I, even if that I dies, you don't die. You don't lose it. Because you have yourself. That lives. Very interesting way of looking at our life. When you face death, do you hold on to yourself and what you achieve, what you have achieved all your life? I mean, the last week I said, when you when you when you really face your last moment of your life, you, do you hold on to yourself? No, you don't do that, right? You don't think, think about how much you have done, how righteous I was, and how good I was, and I lived a good life and all that. No. In the end, Lord, have mercy on me. That's all you say. Lord, have mercy on me. And then God clothes you with a new self. God gives you the self not the self that you made, but the self that is given to us. I think that was what Paul had in mind when he wrote all these things. You know, my friends, uh, he's not writing from brain. He's not sitting down, okay, let's see the, the logical conclusion of all this. Uh, let me write down and then, uh, okay, this book and that book and you uh, collect and then you write essay and then uh, uh, present. No. What he experienced here, he was just writing down what he experienced. He's not talking about theory, concept. He's talking about his own experience. 
This is what he said. For we know that if the earthly tent, it's like an earthly tent is metaphorical way of saying your old self. The self that you made. The self that you created. If the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So it's not the self that you have cultivated and achieved and you have made, but the building that is eternal given to you. That is what he experienced. And he tried to ex uh, articulate it as much as possible with the human language. What he experienced. And in the same chapter, he said this. So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Like a newborn, new birth. Born again. New creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. You are a new creation. The old self is gone. And now you have a new self. And I believe that. And I think this new self Paul is talking about is That's what I conclude. This new self is connected self. Connected with God and connected with each other. It's not existence in isolation. It is very different from thinking, I. It is I that is connected. No more self in isolation. No more island. That's why Africans, uh, they say, I am because you are. That makes so much sense. I am because you are. That connected self. Not I, but we. So this is what Paul said. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ. What is baptism? What is baptism? Baptism, according to Romans chapter 6, you die with Christ, you rise with Christ. That's what baptism is. And here, you are baptized. In other words, your old self died with Christ. Now, new self came up. When this new self came up, 
law does not control anymore. So uh, by the uh, law of nationality, your Jew or Greek doesn't matter. Your male or female, by the biological law, your male or female, that is gone. Your slave or status, say slave or free, that is gone. Totally new self is created within you. There is no more white, yellow, black. There is no more Korean, Canadians, Americans, Scandinavians. <laughs> you know, that is not what distinguishes us. That's not what makes us who we are anymore. Even male or female, that's not what defines us. Wonderful, wonderful recognition and realization, discovery that Paul made. New identity. This connected self is a big self. When the small self, small old self dies, the big new self comes around. This new big self is big because it is connected self. In that big self, there's room to invite others. And that is love. When you don't have room to invite others, then you have no love. If you are full of yourself, you have no room for other people. And all your life, you never love. You are married, and you are full of yourself. There is no room for your spouse. Then there is no love. There is no relationship. There is no connected self that, uh, that way. If you're full of yourself, doesn't matter what community you're part of. You have no room to invite others. So there's no love. And some of you may think, oh, yeah, okay. Moksan uh, said, love is not, you know, not really important and necessary. Love does not control us anymore. So let us sin. Freely. Oh, there's no law. You know, so let's do anything that I want. That itself, you are still in the old self. You're still in the old self. If you think like that. Freedom is not that. And Paul experienced it. Paul knew that very clearly. That's why he said in the end, uh, chapter 5, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only to not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence but through love 
become slaves to another. And then 14, where the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That was the conclusion of Jesus. Earthly Jesus. So I said, he used the word Jesus only 14 times. And then he used Christ 200 times, more than, more than 200, 200 times. So the earthly Jesus was not that important to, to Paul. And yet, he captured the spirit of the earthly Jesus. And he said this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summary of all commandments. The good news is that you are given the new self. That self is connected with God. The self is connected with each other. And with that new self, you can live your life with a powerful freedom doing what God wants you to do. What law cannot do, this freedom can do. This grace can do. That's why love is so important. So good. First Corinthians chapter 13, he talks about law. In case I read it with the, the whole chapter 13 uh, together. Is it good news to you? Can I read it? It's really good news to me that I have a self that I do not need. I have a self that is eternal, and that self is connected with God. And God made it possible. That's such a good news to me. Even I, when I fail, I can rise again. Even when I don't meet up to God's standard, I can still stand firm before God. Even when I die, that self focus on this self. That itself is freedom. Finally, I'm free for myself. Doesn't matter what persecution you give me, you can never destroy me. No matter what criticism you make of me, So for the, uh, since it's the time, uh, for the last thing, I just want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for all of you. I want you to just enjoy it, listen it, uh, listen to it, and enjoy it. If I speak in the tongues of humans, and of angels, but do not have love. I am a noisy gong 
or a cleansing. Think about it. He, he starts with this I, I, I. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I had hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Then he goes into love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. Then he starts with we rather than I. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish, childish ways. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know only in part then I'll know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love remain. These three, and the greatest of these is love. How beautiful. Where did he come up with that? It's not from his brain. What is given to him is given of the self. That is what he experienced. And we thank God for St. Paul's great wisdom and insights for life. Thank you very much. This is the end.